Today's episode is brought to you by Diane Kinlaw of Go Prime Mortgage and Jamie Tulak of EXP Realty. Thank you for listening to the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast. Visit guyswhodostuff.com. You probably shouldn't Google that. Hello and welcome to the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast. My name is Joe. And I'm Josh. And we are here over Zoom, social distancing with our guests that we're very excited to talk about today, Royden Sa. And Royden, can you just start by just telling us a little bit about yourself and your company? So great. Yes, I, I have a background in biology, so I love animals. I got interested in microbiology and then progressed into coordinating scientific programs. So right now, the company that I just started last month is called Health Preparedness and Crisis Management, LLC. And it's a consultant dynamic, and it is in coordination with my regular job, which is for working for a nonprofit called Island Conservation. And through the podcast, maybe I'll be able to make some parallels about what I'm doing in both yeah. uh, and how that affects everybody. You have 15 plus years experience in maintaining critical health relations operations in the most distressed environments. And as you were mentioning, some of that is due to your background in trying to prevent extinction in certain animals in island environments. But that has also afforded you a lot of what seems like expertise in a field that is really needed right now which is understanding the way that diseases spread. I, I noticed that you were invited to speak at the White House at uh, the Pandemic Protection and Forecasting event. So again, my the, the context of where I came from is in island conservation. So islands represent a really special geography. It only represents about 5% of the Earth's surface, but it maintains about 20% of the Earth's biodiversity, about 40% of the Earth's critically endangered vertebrates, and about 60% of the extinctions that have been documented since the 1500s. So really, these are dynamic, very special places, and they're especially sensitive to invasive species. I left my job in health to coordinate this very complicated or complex program in developing a new tool to prevent extinctions on islands. I came straight out of Ebola response in the health world. And so because I had Ebola response, pandemic response experience, rodents, invasive rodents are vectors of some of the worst uh, human diseases like bubonic plague and such. And through conversations in Washington, I was invited to the White House Pandemic Preparedness and Forecasting Working Group. So we explained the technology that we were developing for extinctions. And again, I think it's my background that, that uh, was the in in that situation. And I haven't heard anything about the role of rodents or birds or any animals as carriers inside of the current pandemic. The current pandemic is coronavirus. And... The current thinking, as I understand it, is that it is zoonotic or animal-derived in origin, most likely from bats, probably from a different medium carrier. Most of the worst diseases 
are zoonotic in nature. So you think anthrax, bubonic plague, anthrax is from cows and such, bubonic plague is from rodents, fleas, coronavirus, bats. This, I worked on the SARS, first SARS, cov outbreak back in 2003. So a lot of these organisms, a lot of these uh, pathogens are from animal origins. I think you have a great definition on your website, but when it comes to like health preparedness and our show is for uh, business owners and entrepreneurs, but there are a couple of things that you do, like maintaining essential business continuity, reducing illness and saving lives and organizing your response and recovery. And so here in, in North Carolina, in our area, I want to talk a little bit about what us as business owners should be doing, what we should be learning from this current pandemic, and what should we be putting in place for the next one to protect our employees. You know, if you're if you're watching the news, I think some companies, I'm thinking of Amazon getting skewered for not doing a good enough job in the public perception of taking care of their employees. It probably stems back to the fact that they didn't have a plan in place for how to deal with a pandemic, maybe they did, but certainly it didn't seem like it was enough for the for the current yep. population's uh, perception of the way Amazon is handling it. So what are some practical things that, that you found as you're starting to consult businesses and nonprofits and government agencies that are kind of critical things that people don't have in place on how to deal with a situation like COVID-19? Specifically for this crisis and really to extrapolate to any emergency is getting the best information from, in this case, your health departments. So in the United States, county, state, and CDC, and deploy that information and prepare your staff for the most dynamic situation that they will uh, experience, which is an emergency. And this is an emergency of really unprecedented proportions. Do you believe that this this pandemic that we're experiencing now because of the way that's unfolding people's perceptions that i observed so this is just anecdotal that i observed early on was when there wasn't that many cases it was treated like as oh it's just the flu it's not a thing it's and then as you get to the point where people start to know people who know people now it's like oh this is getting pretty serious where we're at right now we're being asked to like here in our state the they're changing the grocery stores that only 20% occupancy can go in, as well as the recommendation to start wearing masks. And now, yes. unfortunately, it seems like the cycle is we don't believe it until it's bad. And then when it's already bad, now we feel like we're behind the eight ball in treating it. I have to imagine that not a lot of companies had pandemic procedures in place because we just hadn't experienced it in a way that affected all companies in the U.S. like this pandemic has. That is exactly right, Joe. Going back to my health department experience in between SARS-CoV-1 back in 2003 and the H1N1 pandemic, the influenza pandemic of 2009, the federal government, FEMA, CDC, put together an extensive pandemic influenza response plan, how to have every sector of society prepared for exact, not maybe exactly this event, but very close to this event. So how should companies prepare themselves? How to, you know, what kind of plans should you have in place for employees and how to deal with absenteeism during illness? All of that was put together in 2006. And I'll speak to the human dynamic, which is unfortunate right now, 
which is not necessarily putting weight into the experts. And so when there was 5, 10, 15 cases recognized in the United States, the epidemiologist that I know was highly focused on recognizing what that means and trying to communicate what that means in the context of this global outbreak. So the experts recognized early on that this was this was shaping up to be a pretty bad situation. Yeah, and it seemed like, again, from, from my perspective, and this can be a little anecdotal, it wasn't until we started seeing a significant amount of cases that the public perception or the pundits kind of perception of it changed to be like, hey, you guys should pay attention to the experts, <laughs> where early on it was like, oh, it's probably not that bad. Yeah, again, I did not follow the media too much. I was really in the process of preparing my family, trying to communicate to my community. Number one, identifying who the experts are in the situation. So not everybody with an MD is an expert on how to mitigate outbreaks, how to stop pandemics yeah. or reduce the impacts. So that's really the, the role of public health. So just go to those websites is, is something that I've been right. communicating since January. I'd be interested to hear what you and your family are doing as far as taking precautions. Well, so around emergency preparedness, it's something that is not new. Some of the activities that I've done in the past is just followed what the Red Cross protocols are for preparing your family. CDC has a similar one. So having a stash of food for three days, having water for three days in case a hurricane or earthquake disrupts. And of course, those plans were for kind of acute regional or local-based emergencies, a tornado, uh, uh, local crisis, where this is a certainly actually a worldwide crisis. So as the guidance changed, the CDC guidance said, okay, well, make sure that you have enough food in your pantry that you could sustain yourself without going to the grocery store often. So I just, again, followed what the CDC was recommending, not only what they were mandating not with the, not only with the uh, local health department said okay, you will not do this or you will do this but also the recommendations yeah taking them seriously so i know a lot of the the small businesses in our area in a lot of it's just industry specific as well some are getting hit very hard some are feeling not so affected and there's a lot of people that are just um, not pulling the trigger on things that they would normally pull the trigger on so it's what are the building blocks of a good pandemic plan? Because I think we could all, as business owners, start to think, all right, well, we need to be more prepared for next time. You've been through five different pandemics now, correct? Five different outbreaks. Only one of them was declared a pandemic by the World Health Organization. That's, okay. a, that's a World Health Organization. Gotcha. So anthrax, SARS, which was never declared a pandemic, the H1N1 pandemic, uh, Ebola, and, right. and uh, now this one. So just by way of preparedness, I think it might be time for companies to start thinking, what is our preparedness plan? And so what are the building blocks for a good preparedness plan? I saw a couple of things on your website. Prepare, how to prepare, respond, and recover. What are some, some good steps that go into making us a solid plan? So again, these building blocks are all publicly available uh, by the, the folks that spend a lot of time putting these together. But having a communications plan and understanding how to communicate crisis, what happens when you have a reduced workforce able to do the work because 
you're in the middle of a surge and you know you don't have 30%. So some of the building blocks are how to work with reduced staff, how to communicate to your staff what you're doing, how to communicate to your staff what is unknown and how to communicate uncertainty in a way that is accurate but doesn't you know increase fear yeah. uh, and just kind of states how things are. So again, uh, I'll point to resources on the web that included crisis and emergency risk communication, CERC. That's, that's available for all leaders. It's at the CDC website and the pandemic preparedness plans. But at this point in time, you know, we're several weeks into it. Everybody's working from home, social distancing. For leaders now, it's time to get into the front end and try to be ahead of the curve. And in this case, it's what's recovery going to look like? How When, when these re- social distancing physical distancing requirements are lifted, what is your organization going to do to, number one, understand what the recommendations are in your locality or localities, and then um, move to implementing them in a reasonable way that fits your company. And what do you think about the conspiracy theories? Do you think it was really from a bat and a soup and an accident, or did a cat knock it off of a laboratory shelf and it spread into the world, or was it a bio warfare. So conspiracy theories, that's something that I don't deal in <laughs> very often. And I will admit that I have not focused on the media representation. What I will say is that this is not an unexpected situation. The, what we're experiencing, you know, some people might have never thought about it, but there are large sections of the United States government of local health departments, of state health departments that have prepared or tried to prepare for exactly what is going on here. So some people are caused by an element of surprise and it's hard to wrap your mind around what is happening. But again, there are a lot of experts that have been in various levels of sensationalism. Some, some experts you know, try to sensationalize it. Some are very stoic and quiet and saying, okay, here are the practices for what the U.S., what North Carolina, what Wake County should be doing to prepare mm-hmm. ourselves. And this has been going on for literally decades. Yeah, um, I saw a documentary recently about the Spanish flu, and that was devastating. That wiped out like more people than the, the all the wars we've been in combined, right? So you would think like you're saying that we would prepare for something like this, but we're not. I come from a background of public health. And I will tie it into conservation. Neither of those fields are very sexy. You know, let me ask you, how many people in the worlds of conservation or public health have you had on, the, on this program and other programs? So it's very rare that folks in those two fields have a you know, compelling story that fits Hollywood, fits however the media cycle goes until something like this happens. So let me back up to your conspiracy theory question. Sure. Because of my background, when news of a disease popped up in that region of China, which is very close to where SARS popped up, it got my attention. I started paying attention to the World Health Organization website, and they're the ones who declare pandemics, uh, declare something called a public health emergency of international concern. So they started, the WHO, World Health Organization, started 
putting out situation reports. And these situation reports are what is accurate information, how the WHO is planning, and how they recommend governments plan for this. They started, I believe, on January 20th. And this was not declared a public health emergency of international concern until January, I think, 29th or 30th. Very, very soon after that, going from the experience of Ebola and and SARS-1 of 2003, even anthrax, is tamping down the rumors, the misinformation that is going on, and really addressing that. You also care about businesses. It sounds like you sound like a like your mind is thinking about structure and leading teams and connecting the dots for, for the unknown, because for a lot of people, this stuff is unknown. You know, people yes. don't know what you know and don't have the experience that you have. And you've been to Asia. So this is an interesting bridge. This this just this podcast episode to have you here and have our audience hear what you have to say about it. This, this emergency, let me break that down a little bit. My interest in business and leadership, my background, I'm a trained microbiologist. That's where I went to graduate school. And I was very, I love microbiology. It is something that I'm very enthusiastic about. And I go out of graduate school and I become a, a lead in a 15-person multi-laboratory team working with food safety. And I'm ready to save the world by making people's food safer. And 80% of my job as a leader was dealing with people, not microbiology. And the state, I worked for the state of North Carolina, and they had mandatory classes. Oh, you have to go to these classes, and it had role-playing. And I completely, maybe not completely, but I did not buy into it. I looked at it as a requirement and didn't pay attention. So, obviously, I struggled as a leader during my time leading uh, food protection efforts. This is an interesting part of my personal story. The state of North Carolina put out a post at the laboratory level. So remember, I was leading teams. I was not adequately prepared for leadership and administration. I'm a technical expert. They had a technical position working with bioterrorism response and planning in the Department of Health. So I put my name in the hat. I applied for it in the summer. And on September 6th, 2001, I was interviewed for the one bioterrorism response position directly dealing with testing of diseases like anthrax and plague and smallpox. And of course, five days after that was the attacks in New York and the Pentagon. It started off in a really paradigm shift from the FBI bringing in one sample every couple of years that's a hoax to 1,000 samples being tested in three months at the state public health laboratory. So... I realized as I ascended the the ladder that dealing with people is important. You know, encouraging them is something that I always wanted to do, but it is actually a learned skill and encouraging them in a way that uh, promotes the mission is going to be really important also. So I really focused on that dynamic as I uh, became a, a leader in the health department. And now with this crisis, it not only affects health, it affects business. It affects the economy. It really affects every sector of our society, even at the family unit. So yes, business is important, and I'm working with a MBA program to to help them kind of wrap their minds around 
what happens in pandemics, what happens in regional levels. And of course, that's something that all sectors of society are feeling now. It's not just Liberia in West Africa or some part of Asia or a small town in uh, the United States. It's pretty much everybody. I appreciate so much your your answer to the question about preparedness because, you know, you can lose perspective because you could feel like like probably many of us feel that we just weren't prepared. But what you're saying is there were there are a people, there's a group of people that have dedicated the majority of their working career to come up with these plans. And the yes. fact that I wasn't aware of them until I needed to be doesn't mean that we as a country weren't prepared, but it just kind of goes back to what you were saying, which is that's why we have to lean into the experts instead of each of us trying to reinvent the wheel. And I think that's a great mm-hmm. kind of transition into talking about how we as companies and business owners can learn from what's going on now. And I appreciated your answer about like where to start because you talked about internal communication, start with your employees, manage expectations, make sure that they're aware of what's going on. And I know like many people, I saw so many COVID-19 emails from businesses that I have done business with that, and some of them were good. Some of them were like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> yes. So when it comes to that type of communication, that that letting your your frontline business, letting your customer communication forward facing, what are some of the bright spots and what are some of the really bad examples that you saw? The easiest bad example is to have this international crisis that is just consuming productivity, consuming effectiveness in government and business everywhere is to, to do nothing, is to not communicate. Right. So again, I, I, the things that I've seen that work well are things that really follow mm, uh, the science behind emergency communication, which is be first, be accurate, you know, recognize that um, there are limitations, you know, recognize the situation. This is a dynamic situation. This is going to be changing. And, and maybe, you know, I guess, let me back up. Maybe a lot of leaders didn't realize that what a real emergency, okay? So let's start with what a real emergency is. There's a lot of talk about emergency declarations and the use of money and use of political power. But really, to me, an emergency is where your life, safety, or uh, way of living is immediately affected, immediately affected. And again, very early on, the WHO, World Health Organization, declared this a public health emergency of international concern. That was January 29th. I've seen organizations that did not say anything about it for weeks, yeah. for weeks, and things were popping up. It's like, hey, you know, this is affecting, we're, you know, we haven't, we're having to stay home, you know, kind of communicate this. So I've seen organizations do that, not say anything when they really should have. And then I've seen organizations and leaders at times, okay, we don't know what's happening exactly, but we're going to put together an interdisciplinary team kind of, again, in an emergency situation, unbound the traditional hierarchies because we need to solve this problem or at least recognize it very quickly and and move forward. Some of the ones that I thought, uh, just sorting through my inbox or different types of communications that I saw, the ones that I thought did an incredibly good job were the ones that addressed customers 
concerns as well as talked about how that company is pivoting to address their concerns. A home remodeling company called Wake Remodeling, and they are now adjusting so that they can do virtual walkthroughs of your home and give you virtual quotes so that you don't have people coming in your home because a lot of it's about people's uh, perception of their safety right now. Our title sponsors for this show are Diane Kinlaw and Jamie Tulak. Whether you're looking to purchase a new home or wish to refinance, why not seek the counsel of a friend who happens to know the triangle housing market better than the back of her hand? As your local lender, Diane Kinlaw knows how important this area is to you because it's her home too. That's why she's made it a goal not to just be the best loan officer around, but a community leader supporting small businesses with referrals and networking events and supporting local charities with frequent fundraisers. If you're looking to move to Holly Springs or the surrounding area, or maybe interested in a refinance to lower your term or rate, Diane offers a wide array of programs to fit your family's needs. Let her be a part of your path home. A home doesn't have to be a dream. Let Diane make it a reality. You can contact us at www.goprime.com and search for Diane or call 919-624-9541. GoPrime Mortgage Incorporated, company NMLS number 69551. Diane Kinlaw, NMLS number 1600777. GoPrime is an equal housing opportunity lender. Today's show sponsor, Jamie Tulak of eXp Realty, has a passion for serving clients and nearly a decade of industry experience as a top producing realtor and designer. Jamie Tulak of eXp Realty will help you reach your real estate goals. Whether you're buying, selling, investing, or renting in today's market, having an experienced real estate expert working for you is crucial. And don't forget to ask her about her hometown heroes credit for military, police, firefighters, teachers, and medical providers. Contact Jamie Tulak today at 559-707-1913. That's 559-707-1913. MRP certified. And having never been through a situation like this before, I'm wondering, is there any kind of information out there that talks about, let's say that social distancing restrictions get get lifted. Does that mean that people are going to feel comfortable and start venturing out? Or is there going to be a time where people are going to just kind of wait and see? Again, this is an unprecedented situation, so I have to add a lot of caveats. But, you know, looking at the amount of fear going on in some sectors of society, lack of concern that is being uh, acted upon. It will be difficult to recover from this. The process, in my opinion, would be to start preparing for that when these things are lifted. How are your staff going to feel? So you pointed out the importance of communicating to customers. I would also elevate the importance of communicating to staff because without those staff, your customers are not going to get anything. You can have a leader that is 100% comfortable about the process and we got this, but if that buy-in and that engagement has not happened in a respectful and empathetic way, the likelihood of success to be able to deliver to your customer is going to be diminished. So yes, it's a multi-faceted front of customer awareness and focus, staff awareness and focus. And then let me add one more thing. In severe crisis, the strain on mental health and emotional well-being is very difficult as well. So I would rec- I would advise leaders to also focus on their well-being. If they're not healthy, if they're not thinking calmly yeah. in a very stressful situation, they're not they're going to have a reduced ability to communicate to staff. 
communicate to customers. So let's un- let's unpack that a little bit. Again, Health Preparedness and Crisis Management, LLC, you're, you're in this consulting type of environment. How do you go about talking to your board? How do you talk to your executive team? And how do you talk to your HR team about this this recovery phase, like getting back into it. What's, what's kind of the education process look like? So that's a, that's a big question. And if you, if you notice, I, I communicate with governments that have complete health departments and I have not, you know, this is a very, very new venture, Yeah. but I look at the, the informal consulting I've done. It depends on a lot of what the situation is there. There are organizations out there that are remote. Everybody operates remotely. Let's say it support services that their physical functioning hasn't been altered hardly at all. Right. And then you have uh, high contact delivery, you know, service deliveries of, you know, working on houses, mm-hmm. interacting with customers directly. So, there's a series of things that would should be done again, starting with what the recommendations are and understanding exactly what those recommendations are for your area or areas. You mentioned mental health and what are the role that HR should be playing right now in an organization during a crisis like this? That's a, that's a great question because the complexity of what is going on right now for HR professionals is astounding. Everything from understanding what is recommended for health information. Does one of your staff members have it? Is that legal to get that information? Are you a a local just in the United States? Are you a global organization? Does it fit the, the laws of each of the places that you're working with, just understanding what needs to happen right now with this, especially with documenting if you have cases inside your, your organization, HR department, but also, again, preparing staff for high absenteeism if this spreads uncontrolled in, in areas, in your areas. What are you going to do? Are you going to adjust your policies to, to accommodate the fact that we are in an emergency right. and without having specifics, I would say it is very important for the HR department to have as much flexibility and creative thinking as possible. And I'd that's have something that to, I to imagine help. if you had a relatively large company that there are probably a handful of things on your policies and procedures as an HR team that just currently don't make a lot of sense right now that you should continue doing them. <laughs> And um, not yes. having that flexibility to address that as a team or how, how to bring that up to your executive leadership team or how to make people aware of that. I know that's one of the things that the Amazon workers are frustrated with is that Amazon is allowing people two, two weeks paid vacation if they get COVID or two weeks sick time, not paid vacation. And then they either have to return to work or something, which what might be an old policy that just currently doesn't make any sense right now any longer to be mm-hmm. like, yeah, if you're really sick, you get two weeks, but yeah, probably something that you need to just address and look at. So I think that's, that's probably a good takeaway as a business owner or somebody in charge of a, of a company or a corporation is to think through what are your existing policies need to be adjusted because we are in a state of emergency. Yep. I will also add, and this is going to be critical is the focus on team and mission and the fact that if you can create policies that bring the team together 
and really focus on getting through this as a community. Yeah. Again, whether that community is your neighborhood in West Raleigh, where I, I live, or your, your company, which we have a lot of remote employees, oh. examples all. So, so something that is going to be really important for HR and leaders and team members to do is do, so again, this is an emergency. Everybody, everybody in really society, but in an organization needs to pull together to say, what can I do that will help out? So we talked about HR policies and leader, leader dynamics. Anything that the HR policy generation can do to pull the team together, to make it we are in this together, is going to be important. And same for the leaders. And again, same for the staff. I would give different messages to the staff, more of tolerance to, you know, crazy situations, dynamics, but the HR, what can you be employing that takes care of your immediate needs, which is, okay, staff member gets sick, is out for two weeks, but then gives it to their significant other or their parent that's in the, in the household. And they're going to be out for another you know, we're completely distracted because of this crisis. Right. What can the HR policy do to accommodate for that one situation, but also accommodate for all situations and, and creating flexibility that bring people together, people to focus that we are all in the same boat. And some of those things that I uh, have seen employed is donation of leave time. Okay. So I, I've been working for Island Conservation for several years. I have a lot of leave built up. If there's something that I can do to, to donate it to a team member that is in a bad way, that just came on board and doesn't have any vacation or whatever, that actually creates a great dynamic of, of pulling people together and recognizing right. that we're all in this together. Yeah, that's a great idea. I like, I like kind of the theme of the talk today, and it wasn't an angle that I had considered but I love the idea that just keeps coming up over and over again is there have been people that have worked hard on emergency plans and there's no need to reinvent the wheel. Like if you find yourself as the business owner sitting in meetings or Zoom meetings with your board and your executive team being like, all right, guys, what are we going to do? You might have missed a very big step because there's no need to reinvent the wheel here. There are, yep. there are guidelines that have been well thought through by experts that have been working on these guidelines for decades, trying to learn from past similar things. Even though this is an unprecedented thing, like you said, it's not completely unexpected in the sense that most of us think that it was unexpected because we haven't prepared at all because it didn't hit our world. But there are people that have been thinking through the the complexity of a situation like this to provide the kind of guidelines that can give us a fantastic starting point, if not a complete set of directions on how to handle and communicate in an emergency mm -hmm. situation. Yeah. So that's really awesome. Thanks for bringing that to our attention. Royden, thank you so much for, for being on the show today and providing us with your expertise and your experience in this field. And as a business owner or somebody that might work with local government or anybody listening to this podcast, you're offering consulting, you're offering help on, on their preparedness for emergencies. How can people get a hold of you? The website is hpcm.tech, T-E-C-H. So that's H, like health preparedness crisis management.tech. And my email is Royden, R-O-Y-D-E-N, at hpcm.tech. And again, it's a new venture. I appreciate you uh, having me on to talk about it and making me feel comfortable. And I hope I've been helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And I would love to get you back on to talk more about what you're 
your work with the Island Conservatory. Great. Love to do it. It's a very dynamic and complex uh, project that actually has a lot of tie-in to health. That's why I was hired into it. So that's a completely different story, and I'd be glad to discuss it at some point in the future. Yeah, well, tease tease it out a little bit. Why is it so connected? What What is the connection? So the connection here is that we have a worldwide crisis of loss of biodiversity. So animal species, plant species, insect species are going extinct at an alarming rate, and the projections are that it is going to continue. So the best scientists say that in the next 30 to 50 years, 1 million species are at risk for extinction. So in 30 to 50 years, are we going to be talking about, oh, wow, nobody saw this coming, kind of like we did on this, or are we going to be able to collectively do something about it? The reason that it's relevant is because I was hired into island conservation because the technology that we are looking into using is uh, powerful, hopefully, and somewhat controversial. It has a checkered history because of the biotech backlash of the 1980s and 90s. So I was brought in because of my ability to focus on a complex program, international program that does not have any clear precedence and focus on the biological safety. What if we make this technology to prevent the extinctions by removing invasive species from islands and it gets off of the island? That's a major concern with, you know, developing these things called gene drives. So that's a little teaser uh, for next time. I watched some of the YouTube videos on it. It's very fascinating. Um, I wasn't aware of how much the islands that are such a small, I think it was about 5% or 6% of the, of the landmass of the world, have such a huge influence on biodiversity, just way disparaging numbers, like it's 6%, but I think you said it was like 50 or 60% of the diversity exists on these islands. Yep, the extinctions that, that have been recorded is about 60% since wow. the 1500s. And a lot of that is because of invasive species. And so island conservation is focused on one thing, preventing extinctions by removing invasive species from islands. We've been doing it for 25 years. I was brought in to um, help responsibly innovate and develop a powerful technology that biosafety is a concern. So um, again, completely tied in and love to talk to you more about it. Thank you for uh, letting me give a plug because let me just say one more thing. My organization, I'll repeat this, has given me leave, the ability to have leave without pay to consult, to help out with this health crisis, this human health crisis, while doing benefits for the for the organization itself. So I really have to express gratitude for Island Conservation, allowing me the flexibility to try to get something on my own, try to help the community, but also help them. So they've been taking proactive stance at how to deal with this. Fantastic. Well, we really enjoyed talking with you today. Likewise. We love making this stuff for you. You can help us out by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Get unstuck, tell a better story, and have a good answer to the question, what are you doing today?